0: This is day 13 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be reading Genesis chapters 49 and 50, and then we will go into the book of Exodus chapters 1 and 2, and finally Psalm chapter 13. Anytime we go into a new book of the Bible, I will stop and give a brief description of the book we're about to read, give some historical context, and get the overall setting of what's going on before we actually read the scripture itself. So we'll do that once we finish Genesis and before we start into Exodus today. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for being such a good God. You are so awesome. You are so exalted. We are so lowly, Lord. You have given us dominion over your creation. You have given us of your own spirit. You have given us an image that is like you. And yet, Lord, we are so lost. We are so far from the glory that we once had. But yet, Lord, you still strive with men. You don't give up on us. You never have. You are for our good, even though we don't deserve it. It's such a humbling thing to think about, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for being so good to us, even though we are not always good to you. As we enter into your word this morning, please give us insight into what you want us to know today. Let your word touch our hearts today. May it be impactful in our walk with you, and that we may take it into this world that needs your light so desperately. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob. And scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore and he shall be a haven for ships, and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path, that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backward. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is a shepherd the stone of Israel. For the God of your Father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, each one with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them, and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people; bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought, along with the field, from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants the physicians to embalm his father so the physicians embalmed Israel now 40 days were required for it such as the period required for embalming and the egyptians wept for him 70 days when the days of mourning for him were past joseph spoke to the household of pharaoh saying if now i have found favor in your sight Please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers, and his father's household; they left only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days mourning for his father. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named, Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us, and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived one hundred and ten years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall surely take my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thus ends the book of Genesis. Now we are going to enter into the book of Exodus, which is another book that is written by Moses. The Pentateuch, or the Torah, depending on what you're referring to, consists of the first five books of the Bible that were all written by Moses. Exodus is the name in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which means the way out. So when it talks about the Exodus, it's talking about the way out of Egypt and into the wilderness. There are several evidences that this is indeed written by Moses, and that this is a literal read. Not only because of the literary style of the text, but also the fact that Jesus Christ himself affirmed that this is real, and that it was attributed to Moses himself. And since Jesus is the Christ and he is God, therefore anything he says is completely accurate. So very much so, this is something written by Moses himself as a historical account of what happened. Scholars suggest that this was written around 1450 to 1410 BC. So this is a very old book. And the reason why they put it in this timeline is because of some of the pharaohs that are mentioned in this scripture. There has been some archaeological evidence of the Exodus that has been found throughout history, as well as the names of some of the pharaohs that we're going to be seeing in the book of Exodus that will be able to match up with historical documents outside the Bible. So it makes this timeline fairly accurate in assigning it a proper year. Now the theme of this book is deliverance, as you can imagine. God promised that he would rescue his people from Egypt and take them to the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see it actually happening in real time during the book of Exodus. This book basically records the birth of the nation of Israel, and it is a huge nation. When I was a kid, I always imagined that the nation of Israel was very small because it was a caravan of people going through the wilderness, living in tents and such. But when you look at the bigger picture as to how big this civilization is, you're talking about a little over a million people combined that are wandering this wilderness. That is a lot of people, and that's hard to fathom today, but this is exactly how it happened, because if you recall, God told Abraham that they would be in the land of Egypt for so much time, and then they would be rescued from there and coming into the land that was promised. Isaac received the same promise, Jacob received the same promise, and Joseph fully believed the promise himself. So in their minds, because God said it, there was no doubt in their minds that it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And what better time for God to act during a dark period of Israel's history? As we go into the book of Exodus, we're going to see that the nation of Israel has grown significantly, right? It's over a million people now, starting from 70, and hundreds of years have passed. The Pharaohs have forgotten who Israel and Joseph were, and now we have them enslaved by Egypt. And so there is no better time for God to act than when people are calling out to him, and he shows his powerful hand and his sovereignty through all of it, and it's beautiful to see. So through this rescue that he is going to make on his people, he's going to create a government system with them. He is going to create what is called a Covenant relationship with them. And this is the same kind of relationship he's had with their forefathers, in where he would make promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were expected to keep some end of the agreement. And so we are going to see that at Mount Sinai when God speaks with an audible voice to the entire nation and he gives the Ten Commandments. And without any further delays, Let us begin. Exodus chapters 1 and 2 for today. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were seventy in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us, and fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them, to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor, in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labor which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other was named Puah. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and said to them, Why have you done this thing, and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days, when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, He even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of these many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Psalm chapter 13. For the choir director. A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart all the day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Congratulations on completing the first book of the Bible. We've already taken the first steps of our journey in traveling through the Bible in a year, and we have 65 more books to go. It seems like such a daunting task, but if it's anything like it was last time, the time is going to fly quickly. And when we come out of this, we are going to know so much more about God and about ourselves and about the Bible as a whole. So, this is indeed a very fruitful endeavor that we've been making. And now we've completed one whole book of the Bible, 50 chapters. Well done. Let's talk about what happened here in Genesis because it is fascinating to understand. So we have the last words of Jacob, and how he chooses to spend his last moments is by blessing his sons. Now, you can tell that this is the Holy Spirit taking over at this point, because everything that Jacob is saying is prophetic in nature. It is something that is telling of future events. How is Jacob able to be so accurate about where in the nation of Israel Each of the tribes are going to be. He doesn't even know there are going to be tribes yet. Or does he? Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But either way, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Jacob and offering a spiritual blessing to these sons of his. So, naturally, given the nature of this culture, Reuben was the firstborn and therefore he was the first to get his blessing. But as you can see, his blessing for him was not much of a blessing, really. Reuben forfeited his preeminence and his right as the firstborn. And do you remember what he did? He was the one that went into Bilhah, his father's concubine, and slept with her. And that is a great evil. That is what we call incest today. This is dishonorable, even in those days. You do not sleep with the stepmother or the stepdaughter. Or the stepson. Those are all completely unacceptable. And so, because of what he did, he is given a blessing of instability. While he is going to have a portion in the land, he's going to be defined by his instability. And this is confirmed in the history of Reuben, because the whole time that they are in the land of Israel, you never see a judge, you never see a prophet, and you never see a hero come out of Reuben. Reuben's just kind of there, and part of the story, but yet he doesn't have any special qualities to him. And that's because the man Reuben caused that to happen for his descendants, because of his sin against God, and against his father. Simeon and Levi are next, and they are also given a negative message. Why? because of that time when they deceived a whole group of people after their sister had been violated, and they murdered a ton of people because of it. Jacob is condemning them for their cruelty and their anger in the slaying of these people, including the destruction of all the animals, too. So you'll also see that the nation of Simeon matches the description of not only what Jacob said, but also the personality almost of Simeon, and how he handled things, and so you're going to see in the land of Canaan that their inheritance is going to be within Judah. They are not going to have their own territory like everyone else. They're downgraded in a sense because of how they acted during their lives. Now, Levi has no inheritance of its own, which we're going to see in the book of Exodus, with the exception of a few cities here and there. But the Levites are going to redeem themselves later, because they're going to oppose the golden calf, which is a famous story in Scripture. And so to some degree, God is going to restore the Levites because of how they respond to the idolatry. And so Jacob is hinting at it. Hundreds of years before it happens. Judah is the line of the Messiah. He is going to be considered the leader among the tribes, and rightly so, because when it comes to splitting the kingdom of Israel, which the nation is only whole for two generations, there's going to be a northern kingdom of Israel, which consists of 10 tribes, and then there's going to be a southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, because Benjamin is within the territory of Judah. Judah is going to be great, and not only is it going to be great, but also our Lord Jesus Christ is from the line of Judah, and you see many hints at that throughout this description here. Jacob predicts that Zebulun is going to dwell at the seashore, towards Sidon. I mean, that's a very specific geographic location, and that's exactly where Zebulun ends up, naturally. Issachar will be strong, but will be lazy, and so nothing really happens with Issachar in the rest of the Bible. They're there, but kind of like Reuben, they don't really play a big role in anything. Dan is a mixed blessing, because They are going to be steeped in idolatry in their future, but they're also going to have a judge that comes from them that is pretty famous today, named Samson. He is from the tribe of Dan. But the Danites are going to be mostly remembered because of their idolatry. They're going to have a lot of nasty stuff in their land, and it is so bad that they are actually omitted from the book of Revelation as being an official tribe. That's how bad it's going to get. So imagine that, that your idolatry is so bad that God has written you off. Asher just gets a footnote of a blessing, in which he is going to live in a rich seacoast area near Mount Carmel. Naphtali gets a very simple blessing as well. And then we have Joseph that gets the most eloquent one of all you could say that they get the second best blessing and many famous people come out of the line of joseph either from ephraim or manasseh for example joshua joshua is from the tribe of joseph as well as deborah the judge/prophetess then you also have gideon from the tribe of joseph and you have jephthah which is another judge all of these come from the line of Joseph. And then lastly, you have Benjamin. And Benjamin is likened to be a ravenous wolf. And like a wolf, they are successful in hunting and in battle, but they are also cruel. Probably the two most famous people that come from the line of Benjamin will be King Saul, the first king of Israel, as well as the Apostle Paul. He says himself that he is from the line of Benjamin. And I love the way that Jacob leaves the scene here. It says that he says what he needs to say, he puts his feet up in bed, and boom, he's with the Lord. What a way to go, huh? So then Joseph is grieved, but he respects his father's request to have him buried where his ancestors are buried. And the whole nation of Egypt acknowledges his death, and there's a huge company of people going into Canaan. And even the Canaanites took notice and saw that it was a monumental day. And thus ends the person, Jacob, also known as Israel. And when he died, then Joseph's brothers started to freak out because they said, Well, Dad's not here to protect us anymore, so Joseph is going to get revenge on us for all the things that we did to him not understanding that Joseph has been taking care of them this whole time. He was up front in forgiving them, and yet they still didn't believe it. They still were holding on to guilt and to fear. And Joseph handles it in the best possible way, and this is something we need to take notice of. He spoke kindly to them. He comforted them. This is how we speak to brothers and sisters in Christ and especially to the world at large. He says, do not be afraid. I'm not in God's place. I'm no judge. I have no sovereignty over you like that. God is the only one who can do that. You meant it for evil, yes, but God used it for good to bring about this present result. He saved all of y'all, and he saved the nation of Egypt through me. This was an act of God's sovereign will. So don't forget that God is in control. He wants me to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And so Joseph stayed there in Egypt for the rest of his life. He died at a good old age. But in a way, that's not the last time we see Joseph. Before he died, he made his people promise him that when they left Egypt to go to the promised land, that they would take his bones with them and bury him in the promised land. And we see that happen in the next few books of the Bible. So they are able to keep that promise, and they are able to bury Joseph in the land. So now, we fast forward a few hundred years, and this new pharaoh doesn't know who Joseph is, and instead decides to use them as slave labor. Now, the reason why I say that the nation of Israel was over a million people is because in Numbers chapter 1, it mentions that there was a census that they conducted. And in that census, it said that there were 603,000 males 20 years and older. So if they represented maybe about a quarter of the total population, you're looking at almost 2 million people that were israelites that's wild because the 603000 only count the men who were of fighting age it didn't count females and it didn't count children so it was at least double that likely more so yeah that was a huge company that came out of egypt that's why it was such a significant memorable event not only because of what God did through it, but the sheer number of people who left was immense. Now, based off of historical records, the name of the Pharaoh that is the one that forgot Joseph is Pharaoh Amos I, and he reigned for 24 years in Egypt. It's hard to tell exactly which Pharaoh is the one being mentioned here, but there are two main guesses as to who it might be, in the timeline. It's either Amos the First, who reigned about 24 years, or his successor, who was Amenhotep I, that reigned for about 21 years. So they subjugated the people, and they tried to practice population control by killing all the males. But they kept the females alive because one, they are not able to impregnate themselves, but secondly, is they can be integrated into Egyptian society. That was a common tactic in the ancient world. If you wanted to integrate a people, you would conquer a group, or you would enslave a group, and then you would marry their females, and their children would become integrated into the new culture. Now here's a theological statement that we need to discuss, and let's see what you think. In verse 15, it mentions some midwives, and these midwives were told by Pharaoh to kill the babies before they were born, basically perform an abortion on them. And what they did was defy the Pharaoh. They chose not to do that, and in the face of Pharaoh, they lied to him. So it really begs a question, did they do right? Because one group may say that, well, yes, they did right because they did the best thing. But then there's also a group that will say, well, they lied. They didn't have to lie. Or they acted with deception and they didn't need to act with deception. Or they disobeyed their earthly authority. And this is an important thing to think about because we're going to run into this in our own lives. Who are we supposed to listen to? Are we supposed to obey an earthly leader? Absolutely we are. But what if that leader has an ungodly agenda? What if they are doing things that we know are against Scripture? Do we continue to do those things? Absolutely not. Much like it says in the book of Acts, it is much better to obey God over man. Will that result in consequences for us? Maybe. But obedience To God is better than obedience to man, especially if you have to pick a side. If we are able to live peaceably with men and there is no conflict, you absolutely must obey your earthly authorities in the government, at the workplace, in the home, at your church, no matter where it is, because the Bible makes it very clear that God establishes all authority. And so if you do not obey your own authorities, then you are disobeying God himself, because he appointed those people. But now if we get to a point where they are doing something that is anti-God, then you absolutely have to pick God over man. But when it comes to them lying and being deceitful, is that necessarily a bad thing in this situation? Think for a moment about World War II. Think about somebody like Anne Frank who was hiding from the German Nazis. The people that were hiding her and her family lied and hid them. Did they do something evil by protecting them from evil people? God does not condone lying. It is in his Ten Commandments. But pursuing a path that would not only honor God, but honor his creation, is a much better choice. And so, I don't think there is much more debate on this in that what the Hebrew women did here was completely correct. They did not allow Pharaoh to have his way so that they could protect these children. And so, they were right in what they did, I think. Even if it was a lie, they were not commended for lying by God, but they refused to kill. And God blessed them through that. Chapter 2 is. A part of the story that we all know. Even if you watch the movie, you get a brief glimpse as to what it might look like. But one thing to note is that even though it says Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh, he never saw himself as an Egyptian. Because when he walked out and observed Hebrews fighting with each other and Egyptians being mean to Hebrew slaves, he took the side of the Hebrew. He knew his culture, he knew his heritage. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had interactions with his mother and with his siblings at that time. The little girl that follows the basket is later named Miriam, and that is the older sister of Moses. Moses also has an older brother, and his name is Aaron, and we are going to see him come into play in the next few chapters. But God protected Moses, and Moses is going to be a mighty person, that God is going to use in such a profound way. He is going to be the leader of all these people leaving the land. And he never once saw his position or his wealth as an obstacle. It says later in Scripture that Moses was the most humble man that ever walked the face of the earth, besides Jesus Christ, of course. And so he didn't care about his position as technically prince of Egypt. He didn't care if he was heir to the pharaoh throne. He didn't care about how much possessions he had or the creature comforts of being in the royal family. What he cared about was the things of God. He cared about his people not being oppressed. He had a strong sense of justice. And he wanted to do the right thing, no matter what. He won't always get it right, but he'll come pretty dang close. And we need to be like him in that way. He is a type of Christ to these people in those days. He is not the Christ, but he is a Savior to them. A foreshadowing of the true Redeemer. Psalm chapter 13 is much along the same vein as we have already been talking about. And I think we all can relate with him, right? It feels so often like the bad guys get away with it. It feels like they never get punished for their actions, and they get to do what they please. And yet David is comforted in knowing who God is, and that God is a God of justice, and that God is a protector to those who are oppressed. So David just rests in the comfort of knowing who God is, rather than worrying about what they're doing. And he said it best. You have dealt bountifully with me. You have overflowed blessing upon blessing upon grace upon grace into my life constantly. How can I be discouraged about the world around me when you have been for me in the most powerful way possible? I can't worry about them anymore. I just need to be thinking about you, Lord, and all the wonderful things you've done. And that is going to be the verse that we will memorize today. Psalm chapter 13, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And with that, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.